All right, good morning. Okay, uh, I am really excited about today, but do pray for me, okay? So, um, it's Labor Day. Happy Labor Day, okay? Labor Day is that great holiday that just wedges itself right in the transition moment, right? Everything before Labor Day is sun and fun and don't bother me with anything else, right? Barbecues are okay, but that's about it, okay? And then, right now, it sort of switches over into, okay, here comes the rest of it, the other nine months of the year. So when we're making that transition, what we're supposed to do is to stop and look and reflect. We're supposed to take notice of it. This is not actually the beginning of it. It begins next week. This, we get one more day to sort of cling to, you know, a long day and a barbecue and some friends, right? I hope you're going to do that this weekend. So with that in mind, I was asking the Lord what it was that I was to preach on, and I felt like he said, I want you to bring them a Salah moment. Now, if you don't know what a Salah is, this is what one looks like. I'm not quite sure why I don't see you guys. I'm not totally sure if I've got the, the right thing up. Oh, no, there it is. Okay, yeah. All right, so here's a Psalm 21, and then you see that little Salah. Normally, it would be inside of there. And Salah is exactly what this holiday is, what this moment is. Salah is a break. Salah is a look at what's come before, consider it, ponder it, meditate on it, rejoice in it, fill yourself up with it, because it's preparing you for what's to come. See how it works? A Salah moment is that transitional time where you're supposed to do this. Now, the way that we do it here, of course, is, is that you look at the words that are before it, you know, the king does this and God does this, and then there's a Salah where you think about it for a moment, and then it launches into its meat. It launches into a new thing. Now, when you do a salah, however, it's not just a break. It's a musical interlude. The, the, the closest we would have in modern music to it, to the degree that we understand it, would be, you know, when you have that instrumental part of a song. You're listening to the chorus and the verses and everything else, and then there's that instrumental part where you're supposed to sort of do what? Well, you're supposed to be reflecting on the song. You're supposed to be letting the melody start carrying you away in the concepts and ideas. You do realize that all psalms are supposed to be songs, right? I mean, that is what they are. They're songs, okay? They're not just poetry, and they're not to be read. They're to be sung. And think about this for a second ago. If I, uh, oh, I kind of hate to bring it up this way, but Steve Schiffman's memorial a great musician and so on, and they had this long period of time where a whole bunch of people that used to be in bands with them were playing different songs. And, you know, you do the first two chords of Ohio, or you do the first two chords of an America song, you know, went through the desert, a horse with no name, or whatever it is. You do the first couple of notes of that, everybody knows what it is, right? I can name that tune in three notes, right? And you know what it is, but here's the interesting thing that happens is, is that it takes you into the moment of that song, doesn't it? See what I mean? Whatever that song was about, and not only that, but where you were when you were first experiencing that. It brings you back into that moment, and in a powerful way, in a way that nothing else does. You can read a, you can read a passage, you can do anything else, but when you couple it with music, the way our brains are built, God has made us to be able to latch on to the fullness of a moment with just a couple of notes. 
which is what he's going to be doing in this one. But I just want us to think about that for a second. Think about this for a second. What that means is, is that the middle of the Bible, the meat of the Bible, the, the very heart of the Bible is a bunch of songs. See that? The, and, and, and think about it this way. We, we, you know, we write, we write some songs from Psalms by taking a verse or two out of the psalm. But that's not the same as taking the whole psalm, is it? I, I'm kind of of the opinion, I get it's hard to do because, you know, no cows of Basham surrounding us anymore. I get it's kind of hard to take psalms and do them directly into a song. But I think that we can actually be updating psalms in their language in a way that we can be doing very substantive songs, and God means us to be humming them. You hear a good worship song, I have decided to follow Jesus. And when you're walking out, you're still singing that song. You don't even know you're singing the song. But you're rehearsing in your mind, I have decided to follow Jesus. And now that guy cuts you off, and you go, oh, I've decided to follow Jesus, not rage, right? Okay, right? So there's this thing that happens that God intends to happen, and I really want to just call attention to, that's the heart of the book. And do remember this, it's not just the heart of the book, it's the heart of the man who wrote most of the book. Because think about it, most of the Bible, the vast majority of it is just history. Who God says he is, how God people treat him, what happens, well, who God is. Then we learn who God is through all the history, right? Then there's some theology in the New Testament, and there's some theology in the prophets and so on, but most of it's history, let's be honest. And then right in the middle we get this God saying, there's a man after my own heart, right? David, a man after my own heart. And what God does is, is that in the Psalms, in these songs, God means to bring us a revelation of the heart that is after his, what it looks like, what it feels like, what it reacts like, how it moves. So that's what we're going to do today. And what I mean by that is, is that I felt like God said, I want to bring everybody a salah. So we're going to bring you a psalm, a song. I'm not going to sing it, so you can be thankful to God right now for that. <laughs> but the point is, is that we're going to do this psalm, and you're going to see it's a salah, and here's the interesting thing about it. It's actually not a peaceful psalm at all. It's not like, oh, everything's wonderful. It's not a pop, sugar gum pop song. It's one that has quite a lot of depth in it, mortal peril even. But the bottom line is, is that in the middle of it, we learn how in the middle of anything to get salah, rest, reflection, preparation, grounding ourselves in him again so that we survive whatever comes. This is what God wants to do with us at the beginning of the year, and I just think it's cool. So I can't wait to share this with you. I'm quite excited about it. Sandy Campbell, this is so awesome. Sandy has been on our council and done all kinds of other things and just an amazing woman. And she's got the coolest place in the world up, at the, up in the sound there. So you should invite yourself to her house sometime. <laughs> well, thank you, God, so much for allowing us to be together as family and be in your presence. And I thank you so much that we're going to learn today about resting in your peace, Amen. even through um, turmoil and trial. Amen. And I thank you, Father, for anointing Kurt for this purpose this morning, and I thank you, Father, that we will um, be listening for your, your voice, Father, to hear what it is that you want us to do. 
for you and your will. And um, I lift up to, up to you, Father, um, Highland Community Church in Renton. Thank you, Jesus. Um, I thank you for their outreach into the community, and thank I you, ask Lord. that you take care of them with leadership and love and everything that you can provide for them, Father. I just ask that for their mom's and touch and marijuana group, and I just I thank you for that. And I thank you for today, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. That was awesome, Cindy. Thank you. All right. Now, so the psalm that we're going to be doing is Psalm 22, and it'll tell us, for the choir director, a psalm of David to be sung to that well-known tune that you were whistling to yourself on the way in on the radio today, Doe of the Dawn, right? We have no idea what the melody to Doe of the Dawn was, okay? But that's the melody that it's to be sung to, and I'm sure it was a perfect fit, okay? It was... It, might have been a barroom song. You know, a lot of hymns came from barroom songs, right? They just took the melodies and, yeah, okay. Just a joke. All right. Now, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? There's a nice start to a psalm. <laughs> you know, why are you so far away when I go for help? Now, do, do know something. This is also what we call a messianic psalm. And the reason why is because this is, there's many references in here. In fact, it's called the fifth gospel. And we'll see why in a moment. But the point is, is that there's many references here to Jesus' death and, and all of what happened around, surrounding that. But I want to tell you something. We're not going to read it messianically first. We're going to go through it once. I'm going to explain it, and then we're going to go through it once, not messianically, and then we'll hit the messianic parts for what it brings to us. But here's the point. I think by jumping to the messianic aspects, aspects we actually miss an incredibly important comfort that this psalm brings to us that God is trying to show us about how to be comforted in the midst of it, and the Messianic just takes that to a higher degree. So the point is, is that what David says is, he says, my God, my God, why have you been to me? Why are you so far away? Now, let's still remember something. When David says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He is not talking about the fact that he just lost his job. Okay, he's not talking about the fact that his girlfriend just broke up with him. He's talking about the fact that he's in mortal pale, uh, Mortal, what's the word? Peril, thank you. Mortal peril. He's in this place where, think about it, when he was young, what happened was, and I don't think this is a psalm by when he was young, but I just want to show you something here. Look, this is Samuel, he comes and he says, now your, Samuel says to Saul, your kingdom must end for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be leader of his people, and that's David, Saul, Samuel having gone to David, anointing him with oil, and establishing this king, okay, even though he's young. Now, as he starts to grow up, Saul begins to figure out the anointing that was on me to be king is now upon him, and that makes him really upset to the point that he's throwing spears at him, and eventually he starts taking his army and chasing him all over the countryside for 17 years. Now, let me just ask a question. How many of you have struggled for 17 years with something? Okay, yeah. If you have... 17 years is enough to where you're almost not struggling with it anymore. It still is bothering you, but you've sort of given up on it ever being any different than it's going to be, right? 17 years is getting close to that moment in time at which you just figured this is what it's going to be for the rest of my life. See what I mean? So David has that in his life, 17 years of running and literally being, you know, just inches away from dying multiple times. Now, I think this psalm actually comes from a later part in his life, though, but David has several more instances where he's in mortal peril, even though he's king. For example, 
when his son rebels against him and David has to flee. This is a time when he's in mortal peril and a lot of what's in this psalm could be here. I don't actually think it's exactly that time, but it's very much like that time where he as king is fleeing. So I want you to understand, let me put it this way. If a guy who's under mortal peril can find comfort, then I can find comfort when I've lost my job. Then I can find comfort when my girlfriend left me. Then I can find comfort when, when you see what I'm saying? If we can get it right out there, it, gets, it should get a lot easier to get right. It doesn't mean that it doesn't still hurt. I don't ever mean to make light of losing a job or, a, or somebody that you love or something. I'm not making light of it. I'm just saying, in comparison, if, you, if, if there's a way, if God's showing us a way to get that right, we can get these things right and stay in him now because here's the point. Everybody in here knows, and you may even be one. In fact, this church has had a lot of people who this was their past, and then they came here and found another way of worshiping the Lord to the point that they actually fell in love with him again. But everybody at the least knows somebody who has something that didn't work out for them in their life in such a way as that. They feel like they're right to be mad at God. They feel like that that's an okay stance to have. Surely God understands because, you know, he didn't perform in this thing that I needed him to do. You see it, right? By the way, let me say one more thing. If you're not in mortal peril right now, if you're not even in any kind of peril, praise God. But you will be. Right? Right? I mean, it does go like that, right? You know, that's how life works, right? But David wasn't always in peril. David had lots of time where he was doing quite good. But this was a time when he wasn't. And so he says, oh my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Now right here is this moment in time at which there's sort of a railroad, a fork in the tracks right here where he can take one track or another track. He can take this track. Day after day after day, I've asked you for this and you didn't answer, and so I get to do my thing now. I get to feel my way about you because of what you failed to do. Or you can take the track of a man whose heart is after God. Because what that man does is, and this is what David does throughout his Psalms, is, yet you are holy. You haven't answered my prayer. I'm still in trouble. But you, you're holy enthroned on the praises of Israel, and rightly so, Israel has praised you, even though they've been in peril. Our ancestors, trusting you, look where he goes, our ancestors. Who are our ancestors? The same people. We're people of the Bible, of the book, right? So the same people that he looks to, he read stories about his ancestors, we read stories about our ancestors. So we have the same thing. So we trusted in you, and you rescued them. They trusted in you and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. You really, if you're gonna, if you're gonna accuse God of something, at the very least, you have to be able to go back through the Bible and show where he's worthy of it. But the case that, that he's making here is you can't find that. Because what you'll find is that God always does come through. Maybe not at all like you wanted. But he comes through in a way that can bring you peace, that brings you comfort, 
that causes you to trust him. Now watch, he's still in trouble. I'm a worm, not a man. I'm a worm. I mean, that's what I feel like because of the way people are treating me. They're treating me like worse than a man, like a worm. I'm scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. But now watch what they're sneering and shaking their heads about. Is this the one who relies on, on the Lord? Let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. You see what's happening? David is saying, I'm trusting in God, and that's why they're sneering at him. Have you ever noticed that dynamic in the world? You know, you're trusting in God, and that just makes people mad. <laughs> why that does that? I think there's a very easy answer for it, Satan. But the bottom line is, is that it just infuriates people, Right? You've had that happen before. If you haven't had that happen before, then may I just lovingly suggest that you try actually trusting him and leaning on him because it will happen if you do, okay? There's gonna be somebody who's gonna call you out on it and make worse fun of you because. You see it? It's gonna make it worse. But so he's getting in trouble for it. What they're staring at him for is he's saying, I trust that God is gonna deliver me. And they're saying, yeah, right, okay? Yet, now watch, before he went to ancestors, now he's going to his own life. Yet you brought me safely from my mother's womb and led me to trust you at my mother's breast. I was thrust into your arms at my birth. You have been my God from the moment I was born. See what he's saying? And I think that there's a really interesting thing we can say. There are people that even had really bad adolescence, not just adolescence, but babyhoods, because they really did have bad parents. But very fortunately, it's not most, and most people can say, you know, God has given me provision. If he didn't, you wouldn't be here. There wouldn't be so many of us here. You see what I mean? And I mean you can argue that, spend too much time on it, but you get the drift. He's going back to his own life, and he's saying, look, the world may be one way, but and even then it's the exception, but I just want to say for me, and my house for me and myself, I know the Lord because he's provided for me over and over and I remind myself of that. I need to. I need to take that salah and remind myself that he has been there for me, right? Even though, even though I don't see it now, all right? Now, when he does that, I think he's starting to get into this place that faith gets to where it becomes a rock. It becomes something that you can stand on. Faith is the confidence of what we hope for, that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Have you ever had that happen? Where there was something that you were hoping for and you just had a sureness of it. God put something in your heart that was a certainty. That's a gift of faith. And look, it's impossible to please God without faith. C.S. Lewis if you follow my Facebook, C.S. Lewis posts about this, or I post C.S. Lewis posting about this all the time because he's always going back to if, if this life were everything that you wanted it to be, you would never find God. It doesn't make, you can't say the obverse. I think C.S. almost does every once in a while. Where he says, therefore, God's got to make your life crappy so that you'll find him. I, I don't go there. What I do go to is, is that the logic of the first is true, and it's true enough that we can embrace a God who has a problem, and that is when everything is the way that we want it to be, we don't need him. We don't look to him. 
We don't seek him. We don't find him. We don't lean on him. It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely, or I like the, the translation, diligently seek him. So this is what he's doing, but do note, look, do not stay far, so far from me. My trouble is near. No one else can help me. My enemies surround me like a herd of bulls. Fierce bulls of Bashan have hemmed me in. Like lions, they open their jaws against me, roaring and tearing into their prey. Does this sound like a guy who's just having a nice day? <laughs> See what I'm saying? This guy's in trouble, right? There are people that are after him. And he's afraid. It's okay to talk to God about your fear. It's okay to be afraid. What isn't okay is to live in the fear. What is okay is to acknowledge the fear so that you can start living in God as a contrast. My life is poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength, this is David, a fierce warrior, David saying this. My strength is dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You've, you've lost, right? There's so much fear that your mouth has become dry. But now watch. You've laid me in the dust and left me for dead. Who's the you? Is that God or is that his enemies? Both. Right? He's clearly saying, God, you're the one that can rescue me, and yet you haven't. Have you ever felt like God has laid you in the dust? Have you? I, I have to say something. If you haven't, it's probably because you're not being honest with him. And I actually, I just really believe something. I know this sounds crazy. You should never do this in theology. But I think it's really good to actually be truthful. I think it's really good to actually tell God what's on your heart. It's not the only thing on your heart. There's other things that counterbalance and so on, right? But, it, but the thing is, is you've got to speak as God is teaching us to do. Don't hide it from God as if, well, if I just act like a really good person, then God's got to save me because I'm a really good person because I did the right things. No, I think when you're really in trouble, when you're really at that moment, you just cry out to God. And I do want to say, I think my brother Dave was better at this than anybody I ever knew because Dave could say things about God that I hated. I really did. I hated him. It just He would say things, and I just hated him. And they, they're not words that would come out of my mouth even when I was being quote-unquote honest. But you know what? Dave was after God. Look, it's not a 1,000% because there isn't such a thing. Or there, but, you know, it's 100%. Dave was after God with everything that he had. And there were times that he wanted God to move and he didn't understand why he wasn't. And he would come to God in this very honest place. And I think it allowed God to have a very honest relationship back. See what I mean? And he got it. He got it. And then he would get it, and then he would enter into it, and he ended up doing extraordinary things. Like David. See? I, I just, can I say it this way? Can we just start having a more full-orb relationship with God? I'm not saying that you go to your depth and your hole and your wall or in the mud. Stick with him there. This is clearly not what David does. But he gets that part of it out too so that God can fix it, heal it, 
deliver you from it. See it? You've laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They've pierced my hands and feet. I count, can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves, and they throw dice for my clothing. Oh, Lord, do not stay far away. You are my strength. You are my strength. See, he's talking about all this tough stuff, but what's he saying? You're my hope. You're my only hope. You're the only chance I've got. I'm not going to go out and fix it some other way. I'm not going to go out and try some other things. I'm not going to, you're not going to be my last resort. You're going to be my first, second, third, fourth, and last. You're my hope. You're my strength. Come quickly to me, to my aid. Save me from the sword. Spare my precious life from these dogs. Snatch me from the lion's jaws and the horns of these wild oxen. And if you do, I'll proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among the assembled people. Let me just, okay, old movie. I've talked about it before. It's called the Ann Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise. How many people saw it? You're dating yourself badly right now, okay? But this was, a, this was not a very popular movie, but it was very funny. Burt Reynolds was diagnosed with a terminal illness. How funny is that? But Dom DeLuise and Burt made it very funny. And at the very end of the movie, Burt, he decides he's going to go kill himself. And he swims out in the middle of the ocean. And then he goes down. And then he realizes, I don't want to die. I want to live. And so he comes back up and he starts swimming for shore. I want to live. I want to live. And then all of a sudden he realizes, wow, I'm like really far out here. And I don't think I'm going to get back. And so Bert starts saying, you know, God, if you get me back there, 90% of what I make, 90% is yours. And then he gets a little closer. He says, 80%, God, 80% is yours, God. And then he gets a little closer, 70, and finally gets down to, he says, 50%, God, but I make a lot of money, God. That's a lot of money. 50% is a lot of money, God. You know, you see what I mean? Making this deal with God, okay? Right? And we, you know, I hope you've never tried that. I hope you just haven't, right? But the fact is, it's a funny moment about things that we do. And the thing that I want to say here, though, is, is David's doing this, but look at how he's doing it. He's not doing it in a way of, I'll do something for you. God doesn't need anything from you. He doesn't need anything from you. But there is one thing that he wants. Desires. He wants you to proclaim him. He wants you to live a life where you've come to know who he really is. And when you come to know who he really is, he wants you to comfort where you've been comforted. He wants you to speak the truths that you've learned in the middle of your dark days. See it? He wants you to speak about him because there's other people that are going through dark days and valleys of the shadow of death, and they need a moment. They need a salah. They need something that causes them to reflect and not see just their heartache and hardship, but that sees the good God who's keeping it but for a moment. Got it? So this is him saying, look, he says over and over in other Psalms, he says, how can, how can someone praise you from the grave? If you let me die, how can I praise you? And, and I just want to say something. When you really get down to David and God's relationship, you find a whole bunch of funky little things like this. And they are funky. But it is David saying, like Moses did at one point in time, that was critical. If you wipe me out, then everybody's just going to say you're a harsh God. But if you spare us, we can declare your praise. Do you see it? 
you've got to get to, I think it's not that God needs to be reminded of it. I think he wants us to be reminded of it. (laughs) I think he wants us to be in a place to where we go, you know what? I want to praise you. I'm going through this valley of shadow of death, but I'm going to praise you. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among the assembled people. Now, remember I told you it was liturgical to some degree? The song totally shifts tone right now. Up until right now, it has all been David talking about his life, right? But right now, it turns into something else. This is kind of a command by the Lord to the assembled congregation who's singing and hearing and being part of this song. Because now he says... Praise the Lord, all you who fear him. See, he's saying this. He's saying to the congregation, honor him, all you descendants of Jacob. Show him your reverence, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but has listened to their cries for help. He has done that for you too, and so praise him. See? And then they do. I will praise you in the great assembly. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you. The poor will eat and be satisfied. This is the congregation now responsively speaking it out. The poor will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nation will bow before him for royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules all the nations. Let the rich of the earth feast and worship. Bow before him all who are mortal, all whose lives will end as dust. You see the power of this? Our children will also serve him. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord because he will keep us. By the way, let me just show you something. You do realize that David never told us how he got delivered. He never told us that he got delivered. Right? The way that we know he got delivered was because he wrote the song. (laughs) Right? And so he switched now into this moment where he's proclaiming it, and he's telling people to proclaim it, and now the congregation is proclaiming it. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born. They will hear about everything he has done. So this is the psalm, Psalm 22. It's awesome. It's brilliant. It's beautiful. But it needs to be experienced. I explained it to you, and in so doing, it takes away from the power of it. And I just so wish that I had gotten to it earlier where I could have gotten Greg or Pam or somebody to write lyrics to it so that we could sing it. Because I don't know how you put this to melody. And again, you can hear my voice is bad and I'm not going to do it, okay? But I am going to do this. We're going to enter into this song as much as we can. I'm going to speak it. I'm going to do rap. How about that? No. I'm going to speak it. And then we're going to get to a place to where I'm going to proclaim over, and then the congregation, we're all going to speak it together in response, okay? I want us to feel the power of this song, okay? So here we go. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Yet you are holy, Enthroned on the praises of Israel, our ancestors trusted in you and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. 
but I am a worm and not a man. I am scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads saying, is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. Yet you brought me safely from my mother's womb and led me to trust you at my mother's breast. I was thrust into your arms at my birth and you have been my God from the moment I was born. So do not stay so far from me for trouble is near and no one else can help me. My enemies surround me like a herd of bulls, fierce bulls of Bashan have hemmed me in like lions. They open their jaws against me, roaring and tearing into their prey. And my life is poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength has dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs and an evil gang closes in on my carcass. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. Oh Lord, do not stay far away. You are my strength. Come quickly to my aid. Save me from the sword. Spare my precious life from these dogs. Snatch me from the lion's jaws and from the horns of these wild oxen. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among the assembled people. So praise the Lord, all you who fear him and honor him. All you descendants of Jacob, show him reverence, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not ignored or belittled your suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on you, but has listened to your cries for help. I will praise you in the great assembly. I will fill my, fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you and now all the congregation with me. The poor will eat and be satisfied with vigor. All who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. For royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules all the nations. Let the rich of the earth feast and worship. Bow before him all who are mortal, all whose lives will end as dust. Our children will also serve him. Future generations will hear about the wonders of our Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born. They will hear about everything you have done. Lord, in Jesus' name, we come before your throne. And we ask you that you would speak that through our spirits. Speak it again. Let us leave here speaking this to ourselves. That you are God. That you are magnificent. That you are surpassing. That you, you have our lives in your hand. That you, oh God, are the one thing that can be trusted. And you can be trusted completely. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, we stand up, we lift up, we come before you, and we say, God, we trust you and only you, and we trust you in all in Jesus' name. And all his people said, amen. amen. Meaning, so be it, right? Amen? Now, right there, that's what that psalm is supposed to do. And for a thousand years between the time of, of David and the time of Jesus, for a thousand years, people spoke this psalm for this reason, in this way, to get comfort in the middle of their trials, 
to remind themselves of the God that they serve and of the truth of their reality being something that is under him, not apart from him. But now, we're going to take it and just make it, we have something David didn't have and those people for a thousand years didn't have. We have something even more than David had. You know what we have? We have the understanding of this as being fulfilled in Christ Jesus so that a thousand years before there was ever a problem that Jesus would experience on the cross, it was known. And here's what God's trying to say. Any problem that you're in, I knew it since there was even before there was a you. Before there was a you, I knew every heartache. I knew every struggle. I knew every issue. And watch how we know that. Because it's Jesus that says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? On the cross, when three o'clock, Jesus called out the loud voice, Eli, 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 Lemek, Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Now, when he does this, there's, the, there's a really cool thing happening right here. This is Jesus calling out one of the most well-known psalms to the Israelites. The Israelites who were constantly under Roman occupation, even at that moment in time. And when he calls this out, he's calling it out to, to bring into their mind that song. See what I mean? It's the first few licks of the song. And he's saying, this is what's happening to me. And watch how it unfolds. But what he's doing is, is he's saying, I want you to know what I'm going through. But then watch what happens. As we know that he's going through this, as he calls this to mind, this thing that David went through, and that now Jesus is going through, we learn something from it. This is something that we will go through too. David goes through it. Jesus goes through it. And all of it, God's got way before it ever was. He had it in his hand all along. Don't give up. Don't give up at 1159. Here's the truth. God is so much more than the God of 11.59 or 12 o'clock. He's more than the God of 3 a.m. He's somewhere around 4 or 5 p.m. the next day. And even then, when you have lost all hope and when you are completely gone and there isn't anything and you thought there's no way of resurrecting or redeeming, God is the God of resurrection. Three days later. Right? So Watch. Watch how much is in this, of this thing that God is saying. I knew a thousand years before what Jesus would experience, and I know what you are. I'm a worm, not a man. I'm scorned and despised. Everyone sees me and mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. And why do they do it? Because I rely on the Lord. Because the Lord saves me. I say that. And so it incenses them. And look what happens with Jesus. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild in three days. Well, if you are the Son of God, save yourself and come down from that cross. The leading priest that teaches the religious laws and the elders also mocked Jesus. Let him come down from the cross right now and we will believe in him. Right? And it is God that he says that he serves. He trusted God so let God rescue him now if he wants him. Well, guess what happened? God rescued him. A little differently than, right? But God rescued him. Okay? It goes on. My life is poured out like water. All my bones are out of joy. My heart is like wax melting within me. This is called the fifth gospel for a reason. Listen to this. 
My strength is dried up like sun-baked cave, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. And look at Matthew referring to it, John referring to it, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus said, I'm thirsty. Right there, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there, and they fixed a sponge of sour wine and held it up to his mouth. My tongue cleaves to my, and it says it, by the way, a couple of different times throughout, speaking about Jesus on the cross. And there it is. And then he goes on, you've laid me in the dust and left me for dead. Is that what he did? Because that's what it looks like he did to me. But was he done? He's not the God of 12 midnight. He's the God of three days later. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. My enemies stare at me and gloat. Did they? Is that what happened? A thousand years later, is this what happened? Almost as an eyewitness account? Let's get a little more specific. They pierced my hands and my feet. Not only that, but another scripture talks about piercing of the sides, but not a bone being broken, whereas the other two were. Okay? Does God know what's coming up? Does he? Because yes, he does. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. There they are. It's exactly what they did. This, is a, this becomes an eyewitness account. This is why I don't always, you, you can't read it always as messianic because you forget that David went through this too. Because God is trying to say, you go through it too. But here it is with Jesus. Oh Lord, do not stay away from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to my aid. Save me from the sword. Spare my precious life from these dogs. Snatch me from the lion's jaws and from the horns of these wild oxen. And when, well, oxen, when did that happen with Jesus? When he's risen again. Where he can never again be tormented. He is now outside of their reach forevermore. Right? I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among the assembled people. I will praise you in the great assembly. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you, says Jesus, and then risen again, says Jesus to over 500 people at one time. Proclaiming his name, fulfilling this thing that has been spoken about him. Praise the Lord, all you who fear him and honor him. All you descendants of Jacob, show him reverence, all you descendants of Israel. Remember, this is the time when God is instructing us how to respond to what we have just seen, how to respond to what he has just revealed to us, how to respond to the fact that he gave us something more than David had, how to respond to the fact that he shows us a thousand years beforehand how it's an eyewitness account of what would take place. And so he's saying, for he has not ignored or belittled the sufferings of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but he has heard, listened, and responded to their cries for help. And so we say as a congregation, the poor will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise him. Join me. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nations will bow before him. For royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules all the nations. Let the rich of the earth feast and worship. Bow before him all who are mortal. All whose lives will end as dust. Our children, praise God, serve him. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born. They will hear about everything that he is. Right? And so I want to give you 
I hope you're right now, I hope you've got a salah. I hope you've got this thing in your heart that is a moment, a pause, a, a reflective moment. Oh my gosh, God is in control. And whether I'm suffering right now or I'm too, I will remember this moment. I will remember that God is in control and that he was in control way before there even was a me. He's not surprised by anything that has happened to me. He has got me. He is holding me. And he's holding me tightly and rightly and he has never let go of anybody. Right? So I hope that you have this in your hearts right now, but I want to give you this treat. I think that this is the way he wanted me to end it. He wanted to give you a special salah. So do me a favor and close your eyes. And I want you to just listen to this and let it soak into your heart. For this is the next psalm that David recorded, or that is recorded. A psalm of David, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, we take Salah right now. We take that moment. We let it sink into our hearts. Your goodness, your care, your phenomenal provision, your love and your healing, your deliverance. All that has been to and for me and all that has been done to and for those that you would have me learn from. We take this moment where we rest from our labors. We rest from what burdens us. We rest from what weighs us down. And we reflect on the God who has carried us. And the God who will equip us and prepare us after a moment's rest and send us out on another path, on another journey to make another difference in the world. Thank you, God, for Salah. Let us experience it the whole of today, the whole of tomorrow. Salah, rest in you because you can be trusted completely. Reach down in front of you and grab these cups. Take the bottom one. God, I have lived my life in fear. You have not given me a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of sound mind. But I have lived it in consternation and fear. I have lived my life trying to fix things myself, fearful that you would not. I have lived my life worrying as if it would make a difference. God, we have lived our lives in ways that did not put you at the center, at the heart, as the song of our heart. 
that sings always and forever. All glory unto you. In Jesus' name, God, in so doing, we have broken our lives. So we put our finger in there and we break. But God, we break that knowing that Jesus Christ on the cross has healed us. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, we do not take our brokenness, we take his healing. And we let Jesus Christ heal us, body, soul, and spirit. So heal us, Lord, and take together, please. Now, Lord Jesus, we lift up this cup, in which is the life that you have poured out for us. The incredible, beautiful, magnificent, glorious, unbounded, unimagined life. There is so much to be had and we don't even begin to get it. But God, you are pouring it all out for us. You have already given it to us. And so in Jesus' name, we lift this cup and we say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you have a life for me which is spectacular in you, even though it may get tough. It is held by you in every way, in Jesus' name. Take this cup together. Ushers, can you come forward?